Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and it's Story Saturday on a Sunday. Uh, because I have been running ragged all weekend. Um, turns out going up to uh, Hollywood for Writers of the Future set me back on Friday and well into Saturday, and I had a bunch of other things going on. It took me a while to make up for it, and now I'm just now getting Story Saturday done today. But hey, it's still the weekend, and Sunday starts with an S, so I don't feel too bad about it. I'll tell you more about the Writers of the Future trip because it was pretty cool on the uh, stream tomorrow. That'll be 2 o'clock Pacific time, deep dive. It'll be deep dive number 6 because <laughs> I didn't dive on Friday because I was driving. Didn't drive yesterday because I was scrambling and didn't drive Thursday because a whole lot of... Yeah, it's been a scramble the last several days. Anyway, so deep dive number 6 tomorrow, 2 o'clock, be there, and I'll tell you about that trip. It's a great trip, but, you know, <laughs> also lots to talk about with it. Anyway, um, this story is story number 10 from Stories from the Great Challenge. It is entitled Kicking the Anthill. It's an urban fantasy story with cops, and uh, I think you'll like it. It got a semifinalist position at the Writers of the Future contest last year, so it's a really, really great story. Sit back. I'm going to read it to you even though I'm not a voice actor. Have fun. Kevlar and ballistic plating doesn't help worth a damn against magic. Sergeant John Singleton really wished he'd known the suspect was going to turn out to be a wizard. He would have called for special magics. Instead, SWAT showed up, and they never had a chance. John's police cruiser sat crossways across the two-lane suburban road in front of the house he and his men had cordoned off not so very long ago. It wasn't a fancy neighborhood, and the house went with it, a single-story ranch with peeling red paint on the sides, a weed-encroached front yard, and one car carport on the right-hand side that was sagging where the suspect's getaway car had careened out of control into one of the yellowish-white pillars that supported the overhead. He cringed behind the car, watching in helpless frustration as, one by one, the assault team who had just moments ago seemed imposing and undefeatable in their black fatigues, body armor, helmets, and rifles, fell beneath the magical onslaught that erupted from the house's front door. Sparks of red, blue, and green shot out, each striking a trooper squarely in the chest. The troopers fell to the ground, writhing, their cries of chagrin gradually rising in pitch as they shrank, going to the size of teenagers, then children, then toddlers, until they were left, equipment and all, barely larger than the blades of grass that grew over lawn in the yard. Jesus, Sarge, what are we going to do now? The voice came from behind the other cruiser, blocking the street in front of the house to John's left. He turned and saw Mendoza crouching behind the forward wheel well of the car, his pistol in both hands, barrel up toward the sky, and his dark eyes wide with shock and amazement. He was a rookie, but even veterans had trouble dealing with a new magical reality of crimes that had begun cropping up the last five years. John opened his mouth to talk, even though he was unsure what he was going to say, but a new commotion from the yard drew his attention back there. The SWAT guys were retreating, their tiny forms struggling to get through the tangle of grass and weeds that was the house's front yard to the street. 
and then to their van, which was parked a short ways down the street. They would have magical first aid equipment in there as an emergency measure, but John doubted it would do much good for the effects of this shrinking spell. And was he seeing things, or were the SWAT guys not done shrinking? Abruptly, one of the SWAT guys went down, hollering in a pitch so high John could barely hear it all. But what he heard carried more than enough. Surprise, followed by fear, and then pain. Until a SWAT guy near the one who had fallen shouted, and then he too started shrieking. John shoved his own fears down and tried to put on a confident face. He looked back at Mendoza. We gotta help the SWAT guys. Call special magics, then follow me. He drew a deep breath, held it, then ignoring Mendoza's look of astonishment, he rose and rounded the front of his cruiser. The SWAT team of eight had been going in by pairs, spread out along the length of the yard, separated by about eight to ten feet between each pair. The pair that was being accosted by ants was the farthest to the left of the group, about thirty feet from where John had been watching from behind his car. Had they been normal-sized, it would have been child's play for the next SWAT team to rush over to help them. But, shrunk as they now were, that eight to ten feet was more like a mile equivalent, or more. If someone not shrunk didn't move to help, there would be no help for the attacked pair. And being attacked by ants, or possibly even worse, fire ants, when you're barely the size of a blade of grass, is no picnic. All that flashed through John's mind in a second as he rounded his cruiser's fender and began sprinting toward the area of yard where the two SWAT guys had gone down. He distinctly did not listen to the soft voice that was screaming in the back of his head that he was being a fool and get the hell back to cover. Don't come any closer, came the suspect's voice from out of the house's open, broken, really, front door. It was young, scared, and female? The surprise of that almost made John miss a beat, but he had to stay focused. They're in trouble, he shouted in response, though he knew as he said it the words were not sufficient, but he was almost there. He could see the grass rustling around where the two SWAT guys were battling it out with the ants. Hear little pops as they fired their shrunken weapons at the insects. Smell the faint whiffs of gun smoke as little cloud of it began to rise from that same area. And then something struck him in the side and he cried out. The world spun and whirled and twisted around itself like the entire planet had been stuck inside a kaleidoscope that was being twisted by a particularly masochistic six-year-old. Green rose up all around him and then the world stopped and he was lying on his back, surrounded by shafts of green that were almost as thick as his thigh. The smell of earth was heavy in the air, and he knew immediately what had happened. The wizard had hit him with a shrinking spell, too. That's just great, he snarled. Then he cursed loudly and added, idiot, to himself. Because, yeah, he was a freaking idiot, running out like that. He was really in the thick of it now. He sat up and considered the ironic truthfulness of that thought, as he could only see the grass shafts everywhere he looked, restricting his visibility to only 10 or 12 feet in any direction. Well... There was no use moaning about it. The SWAT guy still needed help. He needed to get up and get to it. As though in answer to that thought, he heard more gunfire from ahead and to his right. It was louder now than it had been when he was big. No surprise there. And from the sound of it, the SWAT guys were only a hundred or so yards away. John already had his pistol drawn. He checked to make sure his two spare magazines had made the transition with him. They had. Then he took off running shoving the grass shafts aside as he went. That was harder than he thought it would be. The shafts were thick and tough, and after only a few paces, he found himself more moving forward briskly and having to use his shoulders to press between the grass shafts. More gunshots from ahead, and now in between, John heard voices. One stronger, the other haggard-sounding, and both fearful. Almost there. 
John pushed through a few last shafts and came to a halt in the clearing of sorts. Grass grew up on all sides, and above it he could see the rising stalks of some of the weeds and creepers that infested the yard. But here, the grass had been at least partly shoved aside in favor of a mound of earth that reached to just above waist height. It was loose, and lighter in shade than the soil beneath his feet, and there were ants coming out the top. A lot of ants. They would have been tiny, hardly an issue in his normal size, but now each had a body almost as long as John's forearm and pincher mandibles the size of his thumbs. But worse, their carapaces were bright red, and they gave off a smell that was almost cinnamon. Fire ants. Son of a bitch. They hadn't cued on him yet. They were making a beeline, an ant line, to his right. John turned his head in that direction and saw the two SWAT guys. They had somehow managed to bend one of the grass shafts over double and then hauled themselves up onto the elbow the bend had created. But the two men were looking quite the worse for wear. Their helmets were gone, their fatigues were torn in multiple places. The guy on the left, an African-American officer who John recognized but could not put a name to right that second, looked the stronger of the two. The other guy was blonde, had several obvious wounds, and was slumping. His face was puffy and red and he was gritting his teeth like a man enduring something horrible. And no wonder. Fire ant bites burn like a son of a bitch. And that's on a full-sized human. John didn't want to think about how even one bite from those things would feel now that he was tiny. The blind guy was carrying on, though, for the moment at least. As John watched, he aimed and fired with his rifle at a pair of ants that were leading the line toward the two men's bent shaft. He hit, and the ant carapaces shattered. Still, their position was untenable, and they knew it. So did John. Hey, he shouted, and the black guy's eyes zeroed in on him. He blinked. Singleton? What the hell are you doing here? John shrugged. What can I say? I'm an idiot. Here to help. He glanced toward the top of the anthill, where another of the fire ant soldiers had stuck its head out and began moving toward the two trapped SWAT guys. For the moment, at least, John was still in the clear, but that couldn't last. Glad to have you, said the SWAT man, and his voice clicked something in John's mind. He remembered where he knew the guy. Barnes, he thought his name was. Where he knew him from. A bank hold-up a year or so ago. They had been on the midnight shift together, on the perimeter during the two days the negotiators had taken to talk the perps into releasing their hostages and surrendering. Got any bright ideas, Barnes added, drawing John out of his memories. Still eyeing the top of the anthill, John had an idea, actually. Got any flashbangs? Think that'll just piss them off more, Barnes said. Maybe, but it'll also stun them for a bit, let us get out of here. More shots as Barnes and the blonde guy took out another pair of ants. You got any better ideas, John asked, looking back at Barnes. The SWAT guy paused, shrugged, then dug into a pouch on his tactical vest. He tossed a black object toward John. It hit the ground a few feet away, and John went to retrieve it. He picked it up in his left hand. It had been a while since John had used one of these. They'd all had training on it, but in the normal course of patrol duties, the need for a flashbang never really came up. Still, he remembered how it went. Pulled a pin, count to, he rounded back on the anthill and saw that another ant had emerged, but this one was heading toward him. Crap. John sighted in on the ant's head as it skittered toward him. He fired. The ant took the hit and kept on coming. Maybe his carapace was cracked, but that didn't seem to be affecting it much. Crap. John's M&P fired 9mm bullets, which was fine for confronting gangbangers, but those don't have the muzzle velocity or the impact of a rifle round. And it looked like that was going to make a huge difference here. John backed up and shot again. Still, the ant kept on coming. At the top of the hill, the antennas of another ant were beginning to just poke out. 
The attacking ant was almost close enough to attack. Its mandibles opened wide. And then its head exploded at the same time as a report from a rifle shot came from John's right. He looked over and saw Barnes lowering his smoking barrel. Their eyes met, and Barnes gestured toward the anthill. John nodded and pulled the pin, then he sprinted forward. The second ant was emerging for the hole and pointing in John's direction. His shoes slid on the loose earth of the anthill's side, but he didn't let that stop him. He released the sprong of the flashbang and leapt upward, above the probing antennas of the emerging ant. As he passed over the hole and the emerging ant, he dropped the grenade. He hit the ground on the other side of the hill and lost his footing, sliding down the loose dirt and drawing a lot of dust and pebbles down with him. Then the flashbang went off, and the concussion of sound swept over him, knocking him flat for a second. He was just pushing himself up onto his hands and knees when something landed beside him with a crunch that he could just barely hear. He looked to the right and recoiled. An ant! About a heartbeat later, he saw it was dead. Carapace holed and broken in half a dozen places, the legs broken off. What the... Oh man, that was awesome. Barnes's voice drew John's eyes upward, and he saw the SWAT guy, his blonde companion, leaning on him for support, hurrying across from his grass shaft to where John sat. That thing, he gestured with his right hand, he had his left around the blonde guy's shoulder, letting his rifle drop onto its tactical sling toward the dead ant, shot straight up out of the mound. Must have been thirty feet. Great. John pushed himself up onto his feet and dusted himself off. He eyed the top of the anthill warily. The hole on the top was more of a crater now, and he thought he heard skittering sounds, lots of them, from within. We better get out of here. Barnes followed his look toward the hole and nodded agreement. Can you run, Eddie? He said to the blonde guy. Eddie shook his head. Don't think so. Burns like a... He shifted a little and let out a gasp, then a groan, and his left hand pressed to his side. John could see blood flowing freely there. But as much as that must hurt, he knew the ant venom would make it hurt worse. All the same, good thing he'd been wearing Kevlar... If he hadn't, he might already be dead from the look of things. John glanced back at the hole again, then holstered his pistol and slipped his right arm over Eddie's shoulder on the opposite side from Barnes. He met Barnes's eyes from over top Eddie's slumping head. The SWAT guy nodded understanding. All but carrying Eddie between them, they hoofed it as fast as they could. Which was nowhere near fast enough for John. As much trouble as he'd had pushing his way through the grass shafts before... They had more, since they were together so much larger than he had been alone. And then it got worse. They were just getting past a particularly tough clump of shafts when John heard it. The skittering. It had been there in the background behind them. But all of a sudden it rose in a crescendo. He looked back and felt his stomach drop through his feet. There was movement back through the grass shafts behind them. Lots of movement. Lots of red movement. They're coming, he said, and pushed forward with renewed vigor and stepped on the head of an ant that had burrowed out of the ground directly in front of them. Son of a bitch, Barnes shouted and stomped down hard. Stamping in unison, they managed to crush the ant's head before it could do any harm. But the skittering from behind was louder now, and looking to the left, John saw another ant burrowing upward. Move, Barnes said. They moved. But it was hopeless. They were not going fast enough. John glanced over his shoulder again and could clearly see the skittering monsters now, growing closer by the second. If they weren't carrying Eddie, maybe he quashed that thought hard. Then he redoubled his efforts at running and shoving shafts aside, despite the burning in his lungs, too many damn cigarettes, and the protests from his thighs, not enough running the last couple of years. Look for someplace we can hole up, John said between gasping breaths. High ground, where we can make a stand. He didn't say that would only delay the inevitable. He didn't have to. The ground shook and John stumbled forward. Eddie and Barnes went with him, and the three of them almost fell in a heap. 
Instead, they crashed into a grass shaft and managed to use it to save themselves. What was, Barnes began, but his words were overturned by a thundering noise that came from everywhere and nowhere all at once. Just as quickly as it came, the thunder faded away, but for a second there, something about it rang a bell in John's mind. He and Barnes met each other's eyes again. He could see the confusion, the disorientation in the SWAT guy's face. It must surely match his own. But there wasn't time to wonder over this latest whatever it was. The ants were coming. John looked back and blanched. The ants were here. They were swarming everywhere, skittering across the ground, climbing over and around the grass shafts, and unerringly straight toward the three of them. The ants were maybe thirty feet away and closing quickly. Run! But it was futile, and they all knew it. Still, they started forward again. And again, the earth rocked. The thunder came again, but this time John caught its content better, and his eyebrows rose high as he understood what it was. Sarge! Mendoza! John had told Mendoza to follow him, and he must have obeyed. Better late than never. But he wasn't shrunken down. If he and Bards could find him, another quake, and several shafts up ahead a short ways bent over. Double. Over there, John shouted, and Barnes didn't hesitate, but headed in that direction. They heaved Eddie up over a broken shaft and came up against a wall, a black wall that ran left and right as far as they could see past the grass shafts, which admittedly wasn't all that far. It had a ledge about chest high running parallel to the ground, then curved up and away from them. John followed it up and saw that it continued to rise higher, becoming navy blue and straight after a short distance. It suddenly struck him that what he was looking at. This was Mendoza's shoe, and he was looking up Mendoza's pants leg. John had visited New York City once and gone to Liberty Tower. Staring up at the rookie, he was struck by the same sense of awe as he had when he looked up the side of that huge building. He snapped out of it when Barnes said, Get up on the shoe, and began boosting Eddie up. Eddie was very weak, but he managed to force himself up. Then Barnes followed suit. John took a second look back and found himself eye to eyes with an ant that had climbed up the grass shaft they had just clambered over. Shouting in surprise, John swatted at it and was shocked when his backhand knocked the thing off the grass shaft. But there were a hundred more behind it, and they were not stopping. The shoe began to shift behind him, and John realized Mendoza was about to take a step. If he missed this chance, the ants would get him. He turned and leapt, grabbing desperately at the ledge of the shoe. Barnes grabbed onto his clutching hands as the shoe rose up into the air. John had a glimpse of the fire ants, swarming amongst the grass below in obvious frustration, and then they were gone lost amidst the endless green of the lawn, and Barnes pulled himself the rest of the way up onto the ledge. They sat there, spent, for what seemed an hour, as Mendoza continued to walk around and call out for John. But it really only could have been a half a minute or so before Barnes shook his head in annoyance and lifted his rifle. He shot a long burst out to the side, and Mendoza stopped. Above them, miles away seemingly, the tower that was the rookie shifted, then moved, and slowly... His face, gargantuan in proportion so John could make out his every pore, came into focus above them. Sarge, he said, and it was like a thunderclap, but less so now that at least he wasn't shouting. John stood up on the shoe and gestured for him to come closer. Instead, Mendoza shifted again, and the open palm of his hand came down next to them. John and Barnes helped Eddie move over into it, and then followed suit. A second later, the bottom fell out of John's stomach as the fastest elevator in existence rocketed them up to Mendoza's full height, and they stood on his hand in front of his face. Feeling extremely queasy, John took a second to steady himself, then stood and pointed toward Eddie. He shouted to be sure Mendoza would hear. 
He's badly wounded. Call for an ambulance. Get us to the SWAT van. Mendoza nodded, and it was like a mountain shifting. Then his hand closed gently around them, and he began to run. John lost his lunch. Special magics were already on scene when Mendoza got them to the SWAT van, and they wasted no time in restoring John, Eddie, and Barnes to their normal size. And despite John's assurances that he was fine, they insisted he accompany the SWAT guys in the ambulance to the hospital to get fully checked out. No telling what the side effects could be from such a spell. So, he slumped down next to Barnes in the back of the ambulance as his wailing siren cleared the way for the paramedic drivers up forward. Eddie was strapped into a gurney on the other side of the van, with an IV running. He was unconscious, but the paramedics didn't think he was in immediate danger. Beside him, Barnes shook his head and let out a chuckle that was half amusement, half astonishment. That's going to be the king of all there I was stories, he said. Never going to match it. Oh, I don't know, John said. Next time there might be a giant and a beanstalk. Barnes's chuckle became a full-on laugh. He held out his hand towards John. You, sir, are one crazy, stupid son of a bitch. He grinned. I owe you a tall one. John returned the grin and shook hands with him. Any time, brother. Any time. See, I told you that was a great story. Uh, not to belabor the point. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe here. Uh, whether you're at the YouTube or Rumble or Odyssey or wherever the hell it is. Uh, the audio podcast. Subscribe. Hit the notification bell if you haven't already. And come join us the next time. Come join us on the streams. As close to daily as I can, 2 o'clock. And then come by the website, michaelkingswood.com. Sign up for the mailing list. Sign up to become a member of the site to help uh, support the uh, writing and podcasting endeavors here, uh, if you wish. But michaelkingswood.com slash stores where you can get all my books and all the audio, in all the audio, all the formats you want, including audio. You can also go to Amazon and all those other places, but uh, it's better to come straight to me. I get more money and you get more direct interface with the writer and artist that you love. And so that's cool. Um, the Kickstarter campaign for Gimla Veil number six is done. But if you go by the Kickstarter page, you can click on a little link to get you over to Backerkit where you can still support by purchasing stuff through the online. Uh, they call it a pre-order store, even though it's not a pre-order thing. It's kind of weird. But anyway... Um, if you want to help out that way too. Otherwise, I'll talk to you tomorrow on the live stream and next Saturday for the next story Saturday. And it will actually be on Saturday this time, barring weird calamity. Um, I'll talk to you then. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.